time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, how are you? Thanks for joining us for our midweek financial physician podcast. Luska Tigna here, certified financial planner. We get together for two podcasts a week, Sunday's main podcast, usually running two hours, and a Wednesday podcast uh, up by 4 p.m. usually runs an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, it varies. We can go as long or short as we want, and it depends what we have to cover. But thanks so much for joining us. So great to be back in my home studio after being away last week um, on a cruise. And uh, it was very interesting taping a Sunday show, uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, in my cabin on a cruise ship with my little uh, iMac laptop uh, and microphone in 20-foot seas. Um, uh, In 25 years of broadcasting, I can't recall ever uh, recording a radio show, A, on a cruise ship, and B, uh, in 20-foot seas. Uh, it was quite challenging, but great to be back with you uh, in our home studio. I got to tell you, it was a great vacation, good to get away. Uh, my wife and I left uh, from Bayonne, New Jersey, on um, Oasis of the Seas, Royal Caribbean, uh, went down to uh, Florida, then over to uh, Coco Cay, which is uh, Royal Caribbean's own private island, and it was great. I was looking forward to that, uh, and that was the only day my my wife Sue and I got off the ship uh, because we've been to so many ports. Uh, we've been on over 50 cruises. We're avid cruisers, and as a matter of fact, uh, in December, we're going on our fourth cruise of the year, uh, so we love to cruise, uh, and we've been to most ports many times, but we've never been to Coco Cay, and they put $300 million dollars into this private island, and, and it was beautiful. It was really a great day. The weather was right. Uh, they call it a perfect day at Coco Cay, and I tell you, it was really, really, really a nice day. Uh, plenty of food, plenty of drink, pools, beaches, everything. So it was a good trip, uh, except everybody was concerned that on the way back, uh, we were going to encounter um, Hurricane Lee and high seas that go with it. And sure enough, we did. Uh, we left Nassau uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, by the time uh, it was midnight, we were ready in high seas, and we had two days at sea. So we had all day Friday, all day Saturday, getting back into Bayonne Sunday morning. So uh, Hurricane Lee was about 300 miles north and east of us, but boy, did we have some swells. Um, I don't recall a, a ship moving as much, uh, at least for the length of time that this ship was moving. We had 20-foot rollers up and down, up and down. People were getting sick and so forth and so on. But besides that, it was a great trip, uh, but it's always great to get back. I got to tell you, on these cruises, I, I you see a lot of people. And on uh, Oasis of the Seas, it's one of the largest cruise ships in the world. So there's something like 6,000 passengers. So you get to see a cross-section of mainly America. 
Uh, and I got to tell you, I, I have some comments to make on it. And uh, I don't want to offend anybody. That's not my point here. Uh, but I tell you, America has a major obesity problem. And I'm telling you, it's, I've, I've never seen so many people in one place, not only overweight, you know, many of us are overweight a little bit, but I'm talking about morbidly obese. I'm talking about 200 pounds overweight, 300 pounds overweight. Uh, and it's sad. It's uh, I'm not disparaging anybody. Don't get me wrong. I know people in my own family who've, who've, who've fought this. Uh, my grandmother was 400 pound Italian grandmother. My mother was heavy for most of her life. So, uh, and I fought it my whole life. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not disparaging anybody. I'm just making a commentary that this is not good uh, for Americans' health. Uh, and it didn't matter what age they were. I saw uh, eight-year-old kids that were way obese, uh, middle-aged people, people in their 20s, 40s, uh, elderly people. Uh, and it's a shame. Uh, but there's something going on. I don't know what it is. Uh, is it the food that we're eating? I mean, obviously, you know, we always have to put it on ourselves because only we can control you know, what we put in our bodies. Uh, but I, I just think it's a, it's the food that we're eating, a lot of processed food and so forth. And it's terrible for your health. And I was stunned by it. Uh, and I've been on many cruises, so I've been around a lot of people and it's always been an issue. But uh, I was surprised to the extent how many people, I would say that 70% of the people on the ship uh, would be considered significantly overweight. And I would say about 20 to 25% of the people on the cruise were morbidly obese. And it's it's a sad thing to, you know, like I said, I know people fighting this and everything else. And uh, I'm fortunate that, uh, and I fight it all the time. You know, I'm, I'm probably 15%, 15 pounds overweight. Uh, but, uh, you know, I could lose that. Uh, but when you're 200 pounds overweight, 300 pounds overweight, that's a different story. That's a health issue. And it's a strain on the healthcare system in the country. It brings on diabetes, Health, uh, heart problems and everything else. Uh, and another thing that surprised me was how many same-sex couples there were on a ship and how many people that you would consider trans or one of those letters, LGBTQI plus whatever. Uh, I was kind of taken aback by that, how many people were openly out there like that. So uh, when you go on a cruise, it's kind of uh, interesting because you see a cross-section of, uh, if it's a a cruise that comes out of the United States, of Americans. Now, an interesting thing is that there's like 2,000 crew on the ship, and the crew come from countries all around the world. If anybody's been on a, on a cruise, they know that, you know, they hire people from India, from Philippines, from, you know, all over Indonesia, all over the world. I saw one crew member who I would consider to be significantly overweight. So that tells me it's an American thing. I don't know. Again, I'm not disparaging anybody. I'm just making a comment of, of what's going on out there. And if, if that's the case on a cruise ship with 6,000 people on it, that's got to be a cross-section of the United States. And, uh, and that means that 25% of my listeners here are in that category. So I'm not trying to disparage you or anybody. I'm just making a commentary um, of, of the way things are now in America. Now, over the last... Um, Oh, I guess it was been four or five weeks. We've been talking about and summarizing uh, the chapters in my book, The Financial Physician, How to Cure Your Money Problems. 
and boost your financial health. Now, most of you, if you're long-term listeners to the program, probably have a copy of the book. Uh, it came out in 2010. Uh, I can't believe it's 13 years that it's been out, but nothing's changed. I mean, some of the numbers have changed as far as inflation and national debt and stuff like that, but the basic concepts of the book have not changed. And we're up to chapter nine, and the title of chapter line is why we, you know, all, all these chapters are entitled based on why Americans fail financially. So chapter nine is entitled Relying on Unqualified Financial Advisors. Now, I've said this about every chapter, that this is one of the real important chapters. And they're all important. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the book. And when I wrote the book, I wrote 25 chapters. And uh, the publisher told me to cut it back to 20 chapters. So I had to cut out five chapters. And uh, I'm trying to locate those five chapters because I really want to summarize them because they're not in the book. So I'm in the process of digging through old computers and everything else to find the five chapters that we um, didn't make it into the book. But it was kind of like cutting off the fingers and toes of your baby. I hated it. Um, but anyway, um, we're up to uh, relying on qualified financial advisor. It's very important because your financial advisor is like your doctor. You know, financial physician, right? You know, it's your money doctor. And you better have the right one or you're going to be in trouble. You have a bad doctor for health, you're not going to have a good outcome. You have a bad financial advisor, you're not going to have a good outcome. Now, the problem is almost anybody can call themselves a financial advisor. What does it take to be a financial advisor? You could just pass the two-hour exam and get your Series 6, which allows you to sell mutual funds and annuities. But does that make you a financial advisor? Well, on your card, your business card, it's going to say financial consultant. Or it may, even see, it may even say vice president of investments. Ooh, that sounds credible, right? But now you got, you got to be careful now when you call yourself a financial advisor. Uh, the regulators are cracking down on that. Uh, you have to be actually a registered investment advisor, a certified financial planner to call yourself an advisor. And that's the thing. Most people think they're dealing with an advisor and they're really dealing with a financial salesman. So be very careful. Uh, 70% of the people in my business, and I hate to say this, really are not advisors at all. They're salespeople. Their job is to sell you investments. Now, is financial advice just investments? No, it's not at all. Financial advice could be tax planning. Financial advice could be insurance planning. Financial advice could be college planning or estate planning or end-of-life issues or debt planning. How do I buy a car? What's the best way to finance it? Uh, it could be retirement income planning. There's so many things that go into financial planning and financial advice just because a person sells investments. That's like uh, having a podiatrist uh, as your GP. Yeah, they may be good at foot. Uh, but they're not necessarily good at blood pressure, heart, and everything else. So watch out for titles, too. People are impressed by titles. You know, there's nearly 100 different financial advisor designations now. And only a few of them are really valid. The rest are uh, just uh, something somebody goes for a three-hour course, takes a quiz, and gets the designation where they can put letters after their name. 
So let's talk about the different kind of financial advisors that are out there, what these titles mean, what the qualifications are for each of them. And then you could, that should help you decide who you want to work with. Uh, and since so many uh, financial advisor titles exist, I've highlighted just a few of the major ones. I'm not going through all of them because most of them are BS. Let's talk about the top of the, the cream of the crop. And that's Certified Financial Planner. This is the most prestigious financial advisor designation. Now, the basic uh, requirements to be a CFP, a Certified Financial Planner, now they call it a CFP professional, uh, is three years experience in the financial services industry and a bachelor's degree of any kind from any college. And if you don't have a bachelor's degree from a college, if you have five years of financial uh, services experience, you can go into the program. Now, after two years of basically self-study, uh, you take uh, a two-day exam that covers financial planning, taxes, investments, insurance, estate planning, and retirement. It's a pretty difficult test. Uh, and you have to be a comprehensive advisor to be able to pass this test. And after you pass the test and you get the designation certified financial planner, you have to complete 30 hours of continuing education every two years. So that keeps a certified financial planner, you know, on the cutting edge of things that are happening because things are always changing with tax law, with health care, uh, with the investment environment, the economy. And the thing is to keep in mind that dealing with a certified financial planner doesn't cost you a dime more than it does dealing with somebody uh, who's a, uh, a broker at some brokerage firm. And we'll talk about different ways that uh, advisors are compensated as we go along. What's the next one? How about registered representative? Now, a registered representative is also known as a stockbroker or account executives. Uh, and they'll refer to themselves, again, as financial consultants, financial advisors. No, but they're investment people. They are trained security salespeople who are not required to have financial planning training. They just have to pass the securities exam. And most work for brokerage firms who are, are licensed by the SEC um, uh, and on their list on our various stock exchanges. And registered representatives normally earn commissions on the securities they buy and sell for their clients. But the problem is now we start going, going into the area of conflicts of interest. Now, you have to think to yourself, now, is this person suggesting an investment for me because they're going to get a high commission? Or are they recommending this investment to me because it's the best thing for me? Well, unfortunately, I have to tell you, Many registered representatives and insurance agents, which we'll get to, um, uh, are recommending things because of the benefit to them and not necessarily the benefit to you. And, and, and I talk about this all the time regarding insurance people and uh, annuities. Annuities pay the highest commission of any investment anybody can give you. Now, you don't see it because it's buried in the product. Uh, you don't see it unless you try to take your money out over eight-year period because the insurance company pays the salesman, that's the word I'll use for them, uh, a hefty commission to sell it 
uh, and they make their money back over the years that you're in the investment because they're charging management fees. And if you decide to take your money out before five years are over or eight years are over, I've even seen 15 years or greater, then you get hit with a big penalty. So if I'm a person selling investments and I can make an 8% commission by giving you an annuity, or I can make a 2% commission selling you a mutual fund, human nature says that many people uh, will figure out that an annuity is best for you. So be very careful when you're dealing with commissioned people, especially if they're not a certified financial planner, if they're not well-rounded. Their job is to sell insurance products. Their job is to sell mutual funds. Their job is to sell stocks and bonds. Registered investment advisor. All right, this is an individual or a firm that receives compensation for providing advice. They must be uh, registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission and state regulatory agencies as an investment advisor. Now, an RIA, which is another name for our registered investment advisor, is a fee-based advisor. They charge management fees, which is a good thing. And I'll go over fees versus commissions in a little bit. Uh, but they are, again, pigeonholed into investments. And there's more to financial advice than investments. And it's very important that you understand the difference between the two. A registered investment advisor is not going to advise you on how to lower your taxes. A registered investment advisor or a registered representative or stockbroker or insurance agent isn't going to be an expert in employee benefits. They're not going to be an expert at Social Security. They're not going to be an expert at Medicaid planning and trying to preserve your assets from nursing homes. They are exactly what it says, registered investment advisor. And I am, I'm one of them. Look, you can be a certified financial planner. I'm also a registered representative. I'm also a registered investment advisor. And usually a certified financial planner has to be one of the two, if not both. Otherwise, what are they going to do? How can they manage your money if they don't have access to security markets? Then you have your insurance agents uh, who obviously sell insurance and the answer to every issue is an insurance product of some kind. Which I find it to be such a conflict of interest. What about mutual funds? What about Apple stock? What about gold and silver or energy investments? What about bonds? Well, what they sell is life insurance or annuities. That's their arsenal. Everything, every answer to every issue to an insurance agent is going to be a life insurance policy or an annuity. So again, are they working for you or are they working for themselves? Or are they working for their firm? It's very important that you understand the difference between all this. Um, then you have an accountant. Is your accountant a financial advisor? No, your accountant's a tax advisor. I've had many fights with accountants over the years who think they know better than I do about what's a proper investment mix for my clients. Meanwhile, they're a CPA. They have no training in investments. They're not a certified financial planner. They're not a registered investment advisor. They're a tax accountant. And that frustrated me early in my career 
because I chose somebody what I thought was an appropriate portfolio for them, and they'd go to their accountant who did their taxes, and he talked them out of it, usually because he has a buddy who sells annuities for an insurance company, and he gets a kickback from him for every referral he gives them. So I figured out a way around that. I became a tax preparer and accountant 35 years ago. I said, I'm not going to fight people's accountants anymore. I'm going to become their accountant. Therefore, I don't have a third party involved. Not to mention that I'm giving a value added to my clients. Not only am I their investment advisor, their estate planner, I'm also their tax accountant. So there's a cohesiveness of everything that's going on in your financial life. And there's very few people who are accountants and do the taxes that are also certified financial planners or registered investment advisors or insurance agents or stockbrokers. But I thought I'm giving a value added because now the right hand always knows what the left hand's doing. You know how many people come to me, new clients, and uh, I'm doing their taxes, and I find out that some advisor that was trying to free up some capital so they could put it in their annuity and make a big fat commission made my client take a big tax hit. Whether it's uh, ordinary income coming out of the profits of an annuity while they're flipping that annuity over into something else or uh, having a, a client incur a large capital gain so they could take that money and invest it elsewhere. Uh, it's awful. But if you're dealing with somebody who's also a t- your tax accountant, he's gonna, he or she's going to know exactly how this transaction is going to affect your tax return. Incredible value added there. And my clients have told me that over the years. They have one financial guy. They don't have an insurance guy. They don't have an accountant. They don't have an investment guy. They have one guy that does it all for them. Although I'm not an insurance agent. I I would refer them to health insurance people or life insurance people if they need it. Uh, I just didn't want to have anything to do with insurance. Uh, I was an insurance agent in the past. Uh, It's not my cup of tea. So I refer it away. All right, so let's talk about easy designations to get, and I consider it to be very weak, Uh, and that's a certified senior advisor, a CSA. Sounds pretty credible, doesn't it? If I'm a senior, I think I'd want a certified senior advisor. This is offered by the Society of Certified Senior Advisors. This designation implies that the advisor is well-educated in senior financial matters, when in fact the curriculum only takes three and a half days or self-study, followed by an exam. Now, it's hard to believe that all that is needed to learn about the complexities of senior financial issues can be accomplished in a few days. I mean, I consider myself to be uh, a senior advisor. 95% of my clients are retired. But I have 40 years of advising seniors. I've lived through many issues that seniors deal with getting income from their investments, spending down their money, making sure they they don't outlive their money, making sure that their estate planning is proper, making sure I deal a lot now with with end-of-life issues where people are are passing away and now they're they're, they're thinking about, do I I gift money to my kids? Do I start a five-year look-back period? Should I put my house in my kids' names? How do I do generational wealth transfer properly? Do I need trusts? Is my will, my living will, my power of attorney up to date? 
That's what a good senior advisor can do. Not somebody that takes a, a three-day class and then takes an exam. And there's other seniors, certified senior consultant. It's the same thing. Uh, it's all, you know, and there's tons more, I mean, out there. There's so many different uh, certified fund specialists. What the hell is that? To be certified, when they say fund, they mean mutual fund. You're an expert at mutual funds. Well, most registered representatives, most registered investment advisors, all certified financial planners are experts at mutual funds. I don't have to take a separate course to learn how mutual funds work. As a matter of fact, I've, teach, I've taught those courses. Uh, so uh, to be certified as a certified fund, uh, fund specialist, the applicant only has to take a self-study course and pass three short exams. Uh, but they can tell you, I'm a certified fund specialist, so you have to listen to me on the right funds that you should have. So how do you navigate through all this, right? Well, first thing you have to do is decide, how do you get compensated? Number one issue, if someone gets compensated by commissions, your radar should go up. Now, look, I've been in this business 40 years. In October, uh, next month, it'll be 40 years since I passed my Series 6 exam. Can't believe I'm saying that, uh, and uh, I've been both commission-based because the first 20 years of my career, that's all anybody was. There was very few people who worked on fees. Almost everybody was commissioned. So I've been there. But then I transitioned in the 90s towards uh, registered investment advisory, fee-based business. And, and why is it important? Well, a person who earns a commission could earn different commissions on different products. As I said before, they could earn 2%, they could earn 4%, they can earn 8%. And I've even seen some annuities where uh, they earn 15%. But you're locked in for 15 years. So when anybody works on commission, your radar needs to go up. Are they acting as a fiduciary? You hear that term a lot now, we're a fiduciary. What is a fiduciary? A fiduciary puts their client's interest ahead of their own. Well, that should be the case for virtually every advisor, don't you think? But that's not the case. Because if uh, if I could sell an annuity to you at 8% versus a mutual fund at 2%, how am I a fiduciary to you when I choose the 8%? Now, a registered, a registered investment advisor who gets paid a fee to manage your money is a fiduciary. They have to be a fiduciary. It's part of the regulation, meaning that they have to put your interest first. And the good thing about a fee-based advisor, if they're making, you know, one, one and a half percent a year on your money you're the, that they're managing for you, there's no conflict of interest to put you in anything because they're making the same amount of money regardless. Also, a fee-based advisor their fees are based on the value of your account at the end of each quarter. So if your account goes up, their fees go up. If your account goes down, their fees go down. Now, you see commercials on TV with different investment companies. I won't name them. And they say, oh, we do better when our clients do better. We do worse when our clients do worse. Well, that's, that's exactly what every registered investment advisory firm experiences. 
So if my client's assets go down 10% next year, my fees go down 10%. If my clients go up 10%, my fees go up 10%. So A, I don't want to lose your money. B, I like to make your money when I can. And C, I don't have any conflict of interest because I make the same amount of money no matter where your money is. And another issue with commission-based advisors is that they, um, once they sell you their investments and they make their one-time commission, you're dead to them. Why do they care about you anymore? They have to go find the next guy. They got bills to pay next month. So you're dead to them. They'll never call you up unless they can make more money off you. But they're never going to call you and say, look, I want to adjust your portfolio. I don't like the way the economy is going. I don't like the way interest are are going up. The, The market looks very vulnerable here. Let's move you into a more conservative posture. That'll never happen with a commission-based advisor. You are on your own at that point. You're going to ride the ups and downs of the markets. And they'll never be proaction. They will never be proactive and protect you. Now, I tell people that are in my my managed accounts, I don't sell investments. I manage money. Big difference. Managing money means moving the pieces on a chessboard around. If, If investments aren't performing poorly, let's make a change. Let's go into a money market. Last year, for instance, uh, when the stock and bond markets were down 15 to 25 to 30 percent, my clients' managed accounts, we had moved them into the safety of U.S. Treasury money markets early in the year and avoided major losses that everybody else experienced. And that's the difference between managed money and static portfolios. Static portfolios come about from commission-based, quote-unquote, advisors, uh, and uh, and uh, managed accounts uh, are not static. Uh, a good manager is going to make adjustments to your portfolio based on how markets are performing and is not afraid to put you 100% into safety of U.S. Treasury bills, money market accounts, things that you can go to, to for protection. So again, it's uh, it's so important for your, that your financial advisor is, is a competent, experienced advisor. Again, it doesn't cost you any more to deal with uh, an advisor that's been in the business 25, 35, or in my case, 40 years versus a guy who just passed his test last week. And I was that guy. You know, when I I first started uh, in this business in 1983, uh, I was 23 years old. And when I was younger, I looked five or six years younger than my age. So I looked like I was 17, 18 when I was sitting down with people and trying to advise them. Uh, it, was, it was a tough hurdle to overcome. Uh, but now, uh, you know, I say deal with people who has gray hair or in my case, no hair. Uh, that's somebody that A, has been around the block, has seen all different kinds of markets, have been through five crashes. I opened up my firm, AFM Investments, two weeks before the 1987 stock market crash. That's right. Uh, Me and my partner, Martin, we were 27 years old at the time. We had no money. We scraped together $10,000 each uh, and opened up our firm. And two weeks later, the stock market crashed 22%, the worst in the history of financial markets. That was exciting. Yeah, (laughs) we are. Here we go. We're going into a depression as we open a securities investment firm. 
Well, here we are 35 years later. Uh, the firm's anniversary is also next month. 35 years AFM Investments has been around. Me and my partner, Martin, are still together as partners. Uh, Evelyn, my assistant, has been with me for 28 years. Uh, and uh, we continue to, to go on. But we've lived through the crash of 87. I lived through the bond market crash in 94. Uh, we lived through the dot-com crash in 1999-2000. The great financial crisis in 2008. By the way, uh, our advisors saw that coming. And in uh, mid-July in 2008, we moved our clients 100% to the safety of U.S. Treasury money markets and avoided the entire crash of 2008. Uh, uh, and that's exactly what managed money is designed to do, to make sure that we get you out of harm's way before any major damage is done. So a good financial advisor is essential to your financial health as a good physician is to your physical health, so you must choose wisely. Hire a well-rounded, respected uh, financial professional, preferably a certified financial planner. Uh, the more experience they have, the better. Ask them about their knowledge of estate planning, taxation, insurance, law, and other fields related to um, financial planning. But be sure that you uh, feel an overall trust and a good comfort level with the advisor you select. And you should interview more than one. And I say that to people that come to me. I say, don't make any decisions now. Go see somebody else if you like. Think about it. If you're feeling pressured by anybody, that's not the advisor for you. I always tell my clients, and they appreciate this, and I've been doing it for years. I say, look, um, I don't want you to make any decisions today. I don't want you to marinate what we talked about during our meeting. And uh, if you're interested in coming back and getting started with me or you have further questions, uh, just call and come on in. But you'll never receive a follow-up phone call from me. I will never call you and say, hey, you were thinking about doing this. You know, uh, you know, you know where are you? you know, let's get going. Uh, never do it. And clients are impressed with that. When they come back to me, they say, you know, me and my wife are surprised. You never called us. Meanwhile, the other people we were talking to were hounding us almost every day. I said, look, I don't need your business. I, you know, I've been a professional for 40 years. I manage a lot of money. I do very well. But uh, if you want to do business with me, then you know how to find me. I don't want to do business with people that aren't anxious to, to work with me personally. And before you hire a financial advisor, you know, you'll know it in your gut. And I tell people, go with your gut. You know when something feels right. And you know when something doesn't seem right. And, and, and don't be afraid to question a potential advisor. Don't be bashful. And just remember, you're going you're gonna to be entrusting your advisor to make important financial decisions for you. And again, a bad financial advisor or a conflicted one is just as bad as having a quack doctor. Here are some of the questions you should ask a potential advisor. What specific service will you provide me? What are your specific objectives for my account? Prioritize them for me. How do you plan on reaching those objectives? How are you compensated? By commissions on products you sell or hourly fees or fees based on a percentage of the value of assets you manage for me? Uh, who other than you will be working on my account? 
And what is her, his or her experience? Are you going to hand my account off to uh, some young guy that works for you? Uh, or are you going to be the one in charge of my account? Do you have a working relationship with outside experts like attorneys, elder attorneys, accountants, lawyers, insurance specialists? Because a good certified financial planner is the quarterback. You know, we're on top with you. It's you and me up top, and then we pick where we need to go. I would advise you to go see this attorney that I work with that's going to make sure your will is correct or your trust is set up right or you get a power of attorney. Um, I have this insurance guy. Uh, he's perfect. He's great at health insurance and he's independent. Go to him, tell him I sent you and uh, he'll, he'll, he'll advise you properly. That's what a good certified financial planner can do for you is be your quarterback, to be your right-hand man financially and to direct you, if he can't do it himself, to direct you where to go. Uh, How much access will I have to you? That's a very important question because so many people tell me they call their financial advisor and they don't get a call back or that he calls back three days later. And that's not the way I've ever run my practice. If a client calls me today, I'm getting back to them today. Now, if they call me at 3.30 and I'm out of the office on an appointment or something or I'm on vacation, I'll call you tomorrow, first thing in the morning. That's the interaction you want with your advisor. Um, How often do I get written account statements? Do I have online access to my accounts if I want? Can I fire you? And what's the process? That's not an easy thing to ask somebody. How do I get rid of you if I don't like it? But the answer is yes. You can fire any financial advisor at any time. Just keep in mind that the financial advisor can fire you too. I've had clients in the past that were just pain in the necks. They always knew more than I did, they thought. They always second-guessed everything. Uh, They were Monday morning quarterbacks all the time. Uh, that's not the kind of client I do business with. And I'll send them packing. I don't care if you have $2 million with me. I'll tell you, we're not right for each other. So just keep in mind, if you're a jerk uh, to your advisor, uh, he could fire you just like you could fire them. Uh, What if I uh, quit in the middle of a quarter? Do I get any refunds of my quarterly management fees? Uh, Who can I contact as references for you? Now, If you're going to ask somebody for five names of clients that you can call, uh, they're going to give you uh, five people that are in love with you or in love with them. So that's not a real good good indicator of how good an advisor is by calling his top five clients. Uh, Many of them are probably family members. (laughs) So uh, don't necessarily go by that. But you could ask general questions to them. Ask them, what are your strong points? What are your advantages over other financial advisors? And another thing, too, and I've been encouraging new clients coming to me now uh, to ask, uh, are you going to retire soon? You know, I'm 63 years old. Now, I have no plans on retiring anytime soon. I love what I do. It's not physical. I don't feel old. Uh, But at some point, I'm going to retire in my life. I'm not going to work forever. Just like if you go to a new doctor or dentist and, you know, he, you know he's in the 70s, you got to ask him, you know, how long are you going to do this? I don't want to find finally commit to a new financial advisor and find out next year he's retired. And I'm getting that question more and more as I get older. 
and they have less and less hair. Uh, and if they don't ask me, I, t- I bring it up. I say, well, aren't you going to ask me? Uh, and I'll tell you, 80% won't ask. And, you know, 10 years ago, nobody asked because obviously I was six, 53 years old and look younger than that. But I find now when I was, I get older and my hair is grayer and thinner and now I buzz it off, uh, more people are asking that. So financial advisors, they could be very good for you. They could be disastrous for you. And just as I said, just like a good doctor could keep you healthy physically, a great financial advisor can keep you healthy financially. All right, let's take a short break. My name's Luz Katigda. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Welcome back to The Financial Physician. Luz Katigna here. Thanks so much for joining us for our midweek podcast. We get together for two podcasts a week. Our main podcast, Sunday morning. I have it up by 9 a.m. Most days, more like 7. Uh, so make sure you have... Um, You've signed up on Podomatic to be a follower of the program, and we'll send you an email as soon as we upload it. Otherwise, it'll be there by 9 a.m. A Wednesday podcast is up by 4 p.m. And uh, please share the link to the podcast. Um, the only way the podcast grows is just you people telling your friends and family about it. And thankfully, many of you have been doing it because each and every week, our number of downloads go up. And uh, I thank you very much for that. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is lou, L-O-U, at thefinancialphysician.com, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You have a comment on the program, something you want me to cover, or something I could help you with, uh, I love those emails. Just send them to lou at thefinancialphysician.com. And I promise to each uh, to answer each and every one. And if I don't, please send it again because I just missed it. Now, on Sunday's podcast, I tease that uh, on my cruise, I'm sitting in a bar my wife and I, uh, and uh, we started talking to a guy who's sitting by himself next to us. Hey, he looked like he was about, I just want to say, 65 years old or so. And we get to talking, and you know, I tell him I have a podcast and whatnot, and uh, we start talking politics. And obviously, he had a few drinks, and um, he opened up, and we started talking about a lot of different subjects. Now, there's, there's no state secrets here, okay? I'm going to tell you, you didn't say anything that, you know, is uh, top secret or anything that's going to get anybody in trouble. Number one, I don't know the guy's name. 
I have no idea who he is. Uh, I'm just telling you what we talked about, and he told me who he was. And based on the way he was talking, he was a supervisor, a higher up, retired in the FBI, and I think Homeland Security. Uh, he said he investigated the Trump family, and I asked, well, are they corrupt? And he goes, no. Uh, and he just uh, chimed in on the FBI, the CIA, um, uh, Hunter Biden, uh, the two-tier justice system, uh, and uh, it was an incredibly interesting conversation. Now, I said on Sunday that I uh, taped him without him knowing it, that he went to the bathroom when I turned it on. Now, after talking to uh, uh, legal counsel, and then talking to my wife again, and she reminded me that uh, I did ask him if I could record it, that I had the podcast, and he said yes. So I'm saying that uh, uh, he knew we were recording. And I don't think it mattered because he knew I didn't know his name, number one. Number two, he doesn't know my name, uh, number two. Number three, we were in international waters, so I don't know what state uh, law would take effect if I was recording without his knowledge. Anyway, well, let, 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 I'm going to introduce you to him again. I don't even know his first name. Uh, and we just had this conversation. The woman you hear cackling in the back or jumping in is my wife, Susan. Uh, and uh, just keep in mind that, that it's late at night, probably 11, 30, 12 o'clock, um, everybody involved has had some adult beverages over the course of the night. Uh, and, uh, and like I said, he was very open and uh, very matter of fact about a lot of things. So let's start off talking about uh, the FBI and his opinion of where it's gone and where it is right now. Now, now keep in mind, the audio quality is not the best. I mean, we're sitting in a, uh, a crowded bar. Uh, there's lots of noise going on and it's not the best audio, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to understand what's, what's being said. The FBI has a history, the strongest history of corruption of any federal agency government. Look down. What do they call themselves now? I don't know if y'all know. They call themselves an intelligence agency. They do. That's a good fact. But aren't all the, like the CIA and the FBI, aren't they all the same? No. They're so totally separate? No, yes. <laughs> Very separate. The FBI has no business in foreign intelligence. Zero. Oh, Lord. That's not their job. But the FBI identifies themselves as an intelligence agency. You can Google it. They do. All right, so here we have a retired FBI supervisor basically telling you that the FBI has a long history of corruption. Uh, and he'll go on to talk more about you know, what's going on now and the corruption now. But he says they're trying to identify themselves as an intelligence agency. And when you talk intelligence agencies, you're looking, usually talking foreign stuff, not domestic stuff. Um, but he goes on in the, in the conversation to praise the CIA, and, and I was really surprised by this. Listen to what he had to say about uh, the U.S.'s uh, premier intelligence agency. That's not their job. Is that the CIA get pissed off against them because they're trying to get into their game? No, the CIA is the best. Yeah. But it's, aren't they coordinated? It's, it's, like, it's like a pair of the Marines versus the Boy Scouts. The CIA is a fantastic the best agency in the world, by far. Are they corrupt or are they good? No. 
No, they're good? They're good for the country? That's good to know. Yes. Okay. Now, within a good organization where they're bad shitheads, without CIA, you don't have it. No, that's good to know. I'm telling you right now, without the CIA, the United States won't exist. Wow. Oh. Well, thank God for that. Yeah, the only thing we've got really going for us is the CIA. So they'll, they'll always do what's best for the country? Yes. Not with the deep state. That's right. You know why? Because the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, does not rely on, on the, the masses. It doesn't rely on the leadership. It relies on the individuals. But isn't there like a hierarchy there? Have you heard history? One man can stop a war. But I'm just saying. So you're saying. It's true. So you're saying that the administration doesn't matter who the president is or anything. That's right. They're independent. Yes, sir. And that's good for the country. Yes. So a retired FBI supervisor agent uh, uh, is praising the CIA, and he said that you wouldn't have a country without the CIA. And I guess that's great to know. Um, that not all. Aspects of our government are corrupt, uh, and uh, so I, I, have, I was very taken aback by that. Um, usually, I think the FBI and the CIA are bangs heads against each other at times, uh, but he had nothing but praise um, for the CIA. What did he say? The CIA versus the FBI—it's like the Marines against the Boy Scouts. So now Hunter Biden's like indicted with these three gun charges. That's bullshit. What does that mean? What do you mean? That's bullshit. So why are they going after gun charges? So it's Title 18, 1,000. Materially providing false information to the federal government on some sort of document to obtain a gun license. I don't know exactly what the gun is. Because I have 22 decades, well, 22 years of experience in these type of investigations to know that that's bullshit. So did um, I've managed agents before, and I can tell you, what are you doing? Where's the where where are the real charges? No, yeah. So we so, all know why why there's no. Real so charges. the bottom line is that Biden's committing crimes that deserve impeachment or anything. Of course, quid pro quo. Everyone always talks about quid pro quo. Using your government position to interfere. So obviously, he thinks that uh, this is a. Uh, a BS case using just the guns, felony gun charge, which is a joke. And uh, he talks about corruption, and, you know, that's that's really the real thing. So now he brings up the 170-something suspicious activity reports. So banks have to file a suspicious activity report when any, something unusual happens. Large wires coming in from foreign countries. Anything that seems unusual is considered suspicious. And you file with the Treasury a suspicious activity report. Well, Hunter Biden and his companies had 174 or 75 suspicious activity reports. Uh, And apparently, uh, oversight committee run by the Republicans have them. And meanwhile, the media and the administration keeps coming out and saying there's no evidence. Yeah, there's no evidence that Joe Biden got a check made out to him with bribery in the memo. Um, but everybody in his family got, uh, I think the number is up to $21 million right now. 
from foreign entities. So he talks about uh, these suspicious activity reports. That's what he means by, by SARS. Yeah, you know what it takes to get 170 plus SARS? It's crazy. So he's saying basically that it's an open and shut case, but the problem is the FBI. And he goes on, and I was surprised when he said this, that the FBI has to be shut down. Isn't that like an open and shut case? Well, you, gotta have the, you have to have an agent. The problem is the FBI. The problem is who they hire. That's the core of the problem. It's not Joe Biden. It's the FBI. The FBI needs to be shut down. Immediately shut down. How do you shut down the FBI? The president. No, look, you have to have congressional. So the Congress can just shut down the FBI? Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, we have to pass it. Oh, Congress. But the president has an alternative means to do it. And earlier he was praising the CIA, and now he wants to shut down the FBI. Uh, and I omitted playing one segment where he goes on to say that one person in the CIA could stop World War III. And obviously that's a concern to a lot of people these days. The CIA is the best thing we have going for us. I'm telling you, a good CIA operative can save the country from war. One individual in the CIA can save World War III. So now I bring up the subject of January 6th uh, and the entry into uh, the Capitol and the prosecutions that have gone on for people who have just walked in, been outside. Do you know that there's been 600, I think, in 76 court cases already and there's still 574 backed up and they're still investigating people that were there? Uh, quite amazing. And, you know, he goes on to say in the conversation that you have no defense, basically. You're going up against the U.S. government with unlimited pockets, and you can only afford the cheapest attorneys. Uh, and uh, it's just not a fair fight. So what about this January 6th thing? Is that really true? Oh, is that no, bullshit. Yeah, there's a video evidence of Is it really happening? Capitol Police like, took out one dude with all the baseball mm-hmm. and escorted him around. The problem is, is that you had the arsenal of the United States Attorney General going against what some guy that couldn't afford the shit. It's all about money. And people can't afford to pay for good representation, right? There's a Sixth Amendment due process there. Because there's not the equivalent of representation on this guy that they had his face painted, escorted by Capitol Police into the freaking into the main. You're talking about the the arm of the United States Attorney's Office, right? Pressured by the U.S. Congress Democratic side, right? To put the most amount of pressure on these one individuals to prosecute them when all they can afford is shit. The lowest, lowest bottom of the barrel defense attorney. So it's lawfare. It's, 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 right. It's a, there's a Sixth Amendment due process. So the next thing we start talking about is um, how the FBI now has been weaponized in so many ways. And, you know, people uh, protest at abortion clinics or show up praying. All of a sudden, the FBI is at your house, banging on your door. Uh, and I said to him, uh, that's scary stuff. And he goes on to say, you're right. Uh, and, and, and and listen to what he has to say about when the FBI shows up at your house. If you, yeah, you're damn right it is. If you had me at your front door, you should be scared. Yeah. Because I already had you. 
Because if I show up at your front door, I'm already done with my job. You don't yeah. even know it. Yeah. yeah. The, the moment I show my face, I'm already done with you. What's that mean, done with you? Alright, so for instance, if I wanna if I have you as a suspect, I'm I'm investigating with the FBI, you have to have special agent in charge authority to go interview you. You have to have your boss's permission to interview the primary suspect of the full field investigation. So, do I have a, an opportunity You're only going to get that authority. You're only going to get that permit, even though it's obstruction of justice. That's why I think the FBI should be fucking canceled. Right? It's obstruction of justice. It's violation of Title 18 111. But don't they have a right to have a lawyer to say, I'm not going to say anything? Nah, that's not the only thing. That's not right. That's bullshit. It's cop custody mm-hmm. question. So, if I'm, a, if I'm an agent and you custody, go, and I ask you questions, then. I, you have a right to have an attorney present. So, but you could arrest me before that. Look, I don't have to ask you a question. I have to you. you know, you don't have a right to have an attorney present if I'm just arresting you. Only if I have a question. But here's the thing. I can even question you. I just can't use it against you. So, so the, if they want to come down on you... you the only defense you have is when the officer beats you senseless. On video. <laughs> right. <laughs> so those are, your, those are your only civil tort violations, well, civil like or criminal like actions taken against the officer is if it's it's all caught on video, it's all So on my uh, previous cruise last week, um, just sitting, happened to be sitting next to a guy in the bar, and Sue and I start talking to him, and after a couple of drinks, uh, he starts opening up as. He's a retired Air Force, uh, FBI supervisor, and I think he was involved in some other things too, Homeland Security and, and whatnot, maybe even the CIA since he was pra- he was praising it. Now, I don't know who this guy is. i got to be totally honest with you. He could be bullcrapping me. I mean, I don't know. But he seems to be pretty informed on what he's talking about. Uh, so I'm taking it for what it is. I don't know the guy's name. I don't know his rank. Um, he doesn't know my name, uh, just a few vacations, just sitting around having a few drinks and, you know, just shooting the bull. And, uh, and I recorded our conversation and, uh, and as my wife reminded me, uh, he gave me permission to record this conversation. Um, so, uh, but I don't know. And, uh, we got to just kind of take it for what it's worth. Uh, but the guy seems to know what he's talking about. Now I went on to talk to him about, um, Joe Biden running again. And obviously, he's not a big fan of Joe Biden because he wants him to run again. No, he run. I want him to run. You don't understand. I truly want Biden to but run. You want what to win? about he's gonna, No, hell no. He's going to win. What about I want him to run because he's going to get annihilated. <laughs> so we'll go on to ask him if uh, Trump wins. Will they try to take him out? Meaning assassinate him. And I've said on this program before, I, I think they'd stop at nothing, the deep state, to keep Donald Trump from being president again. And he goes on, he makes an interesting point. He doesn't say no, but he goes on to say, or maybe he does, but then he goes on to say that uh, <laughs> only Democrats or the left would do something like that. The Republicans would never do that because they're Christians. But can he cheat enough for him to win? 
No, he can't. No, no, no. He's going to lose. For sure. It doesn't matter. So Trump's going to be president? Well, look. Trump's going to be the Republican. But you asked me whether Trump was going to be able to win the election. I don't know because of the threat of the FBI. Take him out? No, no, no. That's my biggest worry. They'll take him out. They've done it before. So relatively, when you look at history, other than JFK, but that's a different conversation. When you look at history, the true evil people have come from the left. Yeah. Yeah, right. Republicans are generally Christians. Republicans don't have it in them to kill people like that under those conditions. But the Democratic Party does. For sure. Next, we have a little fun talking about uh, Nancy Pelosi running again at, what is she, 105? Uh, uh, I don't know. Like Pelosi. She wants to run again. Like, don't you think you just take your hundreds of millions of dollars? She doesn't even have tea. And go. <laughs> I know, but go to Capri and hang out like, there in the best in the best hotel and restaurant. What's the, what was that TV show, Tales from the Crypt? What's going on with her husband, too? Go on. Yeah, but what's really? What really happened? Oh, what God. the hell happened to what, him? What really happened there? Did he really know that guy coming in the door? Yeah. I heard some weird stuff behind the stage. Like, what's going on there? That's why a, did, that's a weird why didn't they shoot that dude? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of like, crazy. It has a hammer over it. What? What? What happened? Here, here's what I'll tell you. Mo, Mo, there's a lot of cops out there. There's a lot of cops out there. Are trigger happy. Trigger happy to come here. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right? Yeah. So if you go in the Speaker of the House's house, okay, and you're going to save the Speaker of the House's husband's life from a hammer, you're going to pull that trigger. You know how many cops would pull that trigger? Why didn't they even pull it down? Well, many of us have a, an idea why they didn't pull that trigger. Something strange was happening in that Pelosi house. We still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. But some kind of strange relationship he must have been having with that guy. Anyway, that was my conversation <laughs> with uh, a purported uh, retired higher-up supervisor in the FBI. And he didn't divulge any state secrets, top secret stuff. But he just talked about the culture of the FBI, which he thinks should be abolished or shut down. Uh, and he praised the CIA, saying that um, we wouldn't have a country without so take it for what it's worth. Uh, I, I just found it fascinating. I found it interesting, and I wanted to share it with you. This just in, uh, as I'm recording this uh, Wednesday afternoon, the Fed just came out and announced that they're leaving interest rates unchanged at this meeting. This is the second time in three meetings that they have not raised interest rates. They raised last meeting, if you recall, a quarter of a point. Uh, but what came out of the statement, and, and most economists were saying that the Fed seems to be much more hawkish, meaning higher interest rates going into next year. Uh, most people think that there's going to be uh, one more quarter point increase by year end. Uh, but looking at the 2024, a lot of the analysts are saying that from what the Fed's saying that, A, they're going to keep interest rates higher for a longer amount of time. And uh, depending on how the data comes out, in 2024. And with energy prices going up, I expect inflation to uh, continue to go up. They may have to raise uh, further on. So uh, Fed leaves them unchanged, but going forward, looks like we still may have some higher interest rates ahead. All right, so let's wrap it up with this. Esteemed 
senator from uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, uh, hoodie wearing. Um, oh, by the way, did you hear that Chuck Schumer has changed the um, the dress code in the Senate to accommodate uh, the slob <laughs> that's uh, that's occupying the Senate seat uh, from Pennsylvania? You can't even really talk. The guy's had a stroke. I, I don't know how he got elected. I don't know how he's still there. I don't even know how he's still functioning. Well, this past week, he decided to join the, the picket lines uh, in Detroit where the United Auto Workers are striking against the major car manufacturers. Uh, first of all, he's driving here making a video. I People are saying, was that a double? There's no way this guy can drive. Anyway, he drives there, but when he gets there, he's trying to uh, make some kind of a statement, some kind of a speech, but it didn't really sound too coherent. Please stand with workers. That's why we're here. My message to the the CEOs CEOs is, you know, at $74 million, you know, collectively earning that, you know, how many yachts can they need, you know, to to water... ski behind it you know i mean it's just crazy you know i don't understand it's just like do what's right for the union you know in this nation oh my uh these are the people that are running our nation now this is one of 100 of the top legislatures legislators in the united states the guy can't even talk um Unbelievable. Then you have Nancy Pelosi, you got uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, you got Joe Biden. I mean, these people should be sent to pasture uh, or sent to some kind of nursing home. Anyway, thanks for joining us for our midweek The Financial Physician podcast. Please share the program, uh, the link with friends and family. That's the way the show grows. You want to get in touch with me, my email address is Lou at thefinancialphysician.com, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. And as always, if you want to come in for a no obligation, one hour plus consultation, we'll go over everything in your financial life, try to put you on the right direction. And uh, remember what I said early on in the program, that choice of financial advisor is so important to your financial health. The phone number is 732-905-8100-732. 905-8100. See you Sunday on our Sunday podcast. And never forget, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. <laughs> <laughs>